Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Thank you, JJ, for that introduction. And I also want to thank all the listeners from around the world, the United States, Canada, United Kingdom, Norway, Germany, India, Israel, Australia, France, Denmark, Spain, Sweden, South Africa, Rwanda, Senegal, Ireland, Burundi, Hong Kong, Malaysia, Pakistan, just to name a few. It, this show's success depends upon our listeners, and so we thank you for making this show a success, and I appreciate each one of you. And when you leave your comments and your reviews, it means a great deal to me personally as well. And as I mentioned, to the show's success. So thank you. With me today is Kathleen Pooler. She is an author, a retired family nurse practitioner. And her memoir, Ever Faithful to His Lead, My Journey Away from Emotional Abuse is a story of one woman's choices when it came to love. Her story is a tears to triumph story, which is the kind of stories we want to to hear. Very often we relate to the tears when we read stories, but we also want to be able to relate to the triumph and to hear stories of triumph. Today she is going to share that roller coaster ride of self-discovery that she made from shame to guilt to inner strength. Now what this show is all about is never ever giving up hope. And one line that I picked up in reading Kathleen's uh, bio is this. She says, hope matters even when all seems hopeless in the moment. And that's the bottom line. Welcome, Kathleen. Thank you, Carol. It's an honor and a privilege to be here. Well, I am so glad that we finally connected. This is going to be a great interview. First of all, I want to ask you, you make a statement in your bio that you made wise career choices, but poor choices when it came to love. Can you share what happened the first time this happened to you? Yes. um, Well, I married um, a man that I had met that I'd only had known for about six months. And I think I went into it uh, quite naively because I grew up in a loving Catholic family. My parents were childhood sweethearts. I wanted nothing more than to replicate what they had and what I knew as a stable childhood. 
And I just assumed that uh, that would happen. And what I did is I actually um, ignored the red flags that were waving frantically in front of me. And and uh, I did not realize the extent of that until I got into the writing of, of this book about how blatantly I did ignore the red flags and just assume that uh, my life would be like my parents without... Mm you know, without me having, taking responsibility for discerning. Um, and the other thing is I grew up as a, a cradle Catholic and I just, I just um, basically assumed my faith would just carry me through. And um, it wasn't until I, I really encountered uh, a lot of trials that I developed a personal relationship with God that really made the difference in my journey. Okay. Um, so what what happened in your marriage? Was it was it what kind of abuse? What did you have to? Um, well, it was a lot of emotional abuse, but also he um, he was a good person with a bad problem, and he had um, he was an alcoholic. Okay. And um, I never grew up with that, so I did not. Even though I was. A, even though I was a nurse <laughs> um, and had exposure to that, I never really connected that I could have married someone like this or that he wasn't, in fact, going to get better in time, if you will, with my love, with my ability to love him and, and turn him around. So I had that, that, those caretaking needs that nurses tend to have that seemed to um, be a trap for me. And where were you emotionally going through this? Were you in guilt? Were you, because you did mention guilt and shame. Was that, did that start at this well, point? I think uh, after I divorced him, my children were uh, one in three when I just had had enough and said, you know, I need to leave. Um, I, it was um, after that that I felt a lot of guilt and shame, but I didn't even realize the depth of it until I wrote the story, to be honest okay. with you. Interesting how writing heals, isn't it? It does. It, it, it definitely is a vehicle for for uh, transformation, really, because you're pouring out your feelings that are inside that you don't, that don't make sense until they come out on the page. And you have to own them. You have to face them. And believe me, this was not the story that I wanted to tell. Um, well, what was the story you wanted to tell? Well, um this is not included in this story. This is in my next memoir. I was okay. I, I was diagnosed with cancer at the same time that my um, my teenage son spiraled down into substance abuse, and I was going to write that story, but these other stories kept coming up, and I decided, well, with the help of editors, <laughs> who said I really had two memoirs. Oh, interesting. Then, okay. Yeah. 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 Sometimes we don't even know what our story is until we start writing. <laughs> so what happened? We're going to ask a couple more questions about what you just said, but let's let's go in sequence of events here. So okay. what about the second time? Why did you think you fell right back into the same trap the second well, time? I was a single parent with teenagers and I uh, had um, transferred to another state uh, for a, a job as director of nursing um, of a small hospital. And 
I think um, I had been actually divorced for about seven or eight years. So I felt like, gosh, I had been alone. I'd learned to live alone and I was really ready. And I really still had that vision of that that stable family for my children. It was really hard to be a single parent. And I think I was very, very vulnerable because my family wasn't around and there was nobody in these this place where I lived that knew me as, you know, from birth, from birth right, to right. a young child. So they, they didn't know, you know, what to expect from me. And um, so I kind of had isolated myself, I think. And, um, I was vulnerable, and again, I I did not heed the red flags. I just think my need to be a stable family unit won out over reason, any kind of reason. Good point. Yeah. Why do you personally think, having experienced this now two times, why do you think that women stay? I can tell you why I stayed, and that was that I held out hope, that I valued marriage, and that I held out hope that things would get better. Um, I, I think there's any number of reasons why women stay. It could be financial. Um, it could be that um, in, in the second case, I actually was starting to feel myself be brainwashed by this man who really? was – who was um, very controlling, and it ended up he was um, an untreated, he had untreated bipolar disease. Mm. I did not realize it at the time until after, in hindsight, because he could be very charming. And um, he did not take responsibility for a lot of his behavior, and he was very controlling. And so, you know, I think... I think there are times when uh, I, I felt like I was, well, I really felt like I was losing my soul to this person. You know, I was just so worn out from dealing with him that I allowed him to be like this. And thank God I woke up. <laughs> and many don't. Right, right. It's so, easy. I mean, it's 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 the fear of the unknown. That's right. I think you, that's a very important part of it of why women do stay and why they tolerate so much between hope and also fear of what could happen if they don't stay. Right, exactly. Okay, so let's back up. Well, I guess it's actually moving forward. You mentioned a couple things. First of all, tell us about at what point in your life did you discover the cancer? How did you get through this? How did you cope? And did you feel like you were possibly being punished in some way? I know some women have experienced that emotion. Um, well, it's interesting because that's actually, that's not the topic in this particular memoir, but it will be in my next memoir. But um, people in my life felt that the stress I want, that I went through caused my cancer like my son my worry over my son and all that and I never owned that I never owned that um so to tell me the question again basically just you know how how did you um <laughs> now I lost my train of thought as well 
<laughs> what a great team we are. Oh. I just was wondering how you dealt with um, feeling that possibly you answered it actually that your cancer caused this and and that you were guilty and therefore you does many women feel that if something bad happens to them after they've made a poor choice that they're it's actually a payment i guess that's what i was basically oh, asking okay. and you did you did respond to that yeah. so you you are a cancer survivor then i'm assuming that everything is good now and I'm a cancer survivor. I do have health issues related to the cancer th- chemotherapy, but I'm still here. And I was declared cancer-free last December after 18, 18 years. So wow, that is a long time. That's, very, that, very good. That's a miracle. That is a miracle. And your son, can you share anything about what you as a mother went through there? And I know that our listeners would definitely relate to anything that you can share about that because it is such a common problem. The best way I have of describing it is that the cancer paled in comparison to watching my my son spiral downward into substance abuse. At least with the cancer, I had um, options for treatment. I had no options with my son, but quite honestly, prayer. I had to learn to let go and let God. And thank God he's going to be 40 years old this October, and he is clean and sober and committed to sobriety. That is the best news. It is. (laughs) It is. You know, we go through so many things in our lives, and some, of course, more than others, it seems anyway. And like you said, tears to triumph. I can only imagine how many tears that you shed over the situation. And now right. it's past. It's over. Mm-hmm. And better days ahead mm-hmm. <laughs> in every respect, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. And that's what I just feel so called to share is that no matter how far down into the abyss you go, there's always, always a reason to hope. And I think that's such an important message. I wish I had my book when I was going through what I was going through. And I feel that's the impetus for for my writing is to share hope. Okay, so let's do that now. Give us some examples of how you share hope uh, for other women, because that's what this is all about, never giving up hope. And we okay. have listeners who need to hear what you have to share. So please share that with us. Well, just that I found myself in two uh, really untenable situations. But because of my faith, my family, my friends, I call it the three F's that got me through, um, I knew that that. I deserve better, and um, that helped. They were my anchors for getting out of a bad situation, and it it took years, actually, um, to do that, but but, um, I just want people to know that that you have to keep fighting for yourself. You have to find inner strength, and what I discovered is that I had the strength all along, I just didn't tap into it. And it was like being in a, a, a jail cell with the, with the door opened. I could have left at any time. 
And uh, thankfully, I did eventually leave. Um, and so I would like women, A, to uh, leave sooner than later. And, and the other thing is not to get into the situation to begin with. I, I'd like to target the book to younger women, you know, who are just starting out dating and seeing, noticing the red flags mean something. Don't dismiss them because I did. Okay, give us some red flags. Um, the night before I was um, engaged to Ed, uh, that's not his real name, but, uh, he's the first husband and, uh, we were at a party and we came home to my apartment and he was, he was so drunk. I thought I was going to die that night. And finally I got a hold of the steering wheel and, um, I, we ended up at my apartment and I told him he had to stay at my apartment because he was so drunk and he almost fell down. I lived three flights up. He almost fell down the stairs. I had to hang on to his belt and it's like he collapsed in the doorway and my roommates had to step over him and I still married the man. That's um, a pretty big red flag. That's huge. But did you not think that this was just a one-time occurrence? I just kept my need to be <laughs> married, I guess. And, and, and he was from a nice family, too. My my need to be with someone, I think, overshadowed my ability to to reason and to see the red flags. I kept thinking it would get better. And, of course, it got much worse. Did it get better at all, like initially? Well, he would, yeah, after he would have an episode, he would be okay for a few months. And he was charming. He was, you know, personable, very, you know, loving. And and so I figured, well, you know, this is just a one-time deal. Yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't. Yeah. Now, did you, when you left him, um, you said that you had to tap into your inner strength. How did you do that exactly? Um, when I left him, I just, I think what would help me was my children. Uh, I think that they're the ones that were the impetus for me to leave because I kept envisioning them wanting to bring their friends home from school and not mm. be able to because their father was drunk. And that thought was enough to catapult me into taking action. And so I think my children were my guiding light at that point. I, I was willing to do anything to protect them. And then in the second time, how did you, uh, same situation or? Uh, well, yeah, yeah. The same, my children were, um, my children were teenagers. They were, uh, I think, 13 and 15, I believe. And this, yes, the same thing. And um, plus, he was a little bit more blatant as far as his meanness. And I, I just, I had friends, like I said, the three F's, friends, family, and faith. And my parents had visited and my mother told me she'd never step foot in the house again with him because he was so rude and mean. Really? And, yeah. And that, that opened my eyes really wide 
and that did it for me. Now, with your son, obviously, he was watching all this happen. Mm -hmm. And this was probably one of his means to escape as well. Can you share with our listeners, because so many women mothers have the same scenario with their sons or daughters, is there any advice, is there any um, things that you would do differently? I mean, how you handled that particular situation, can you advise any anybody that might be going through the same thing? Yes. You know, the one thing I wished I had done sooner <coughs> is get uh, what they call a PINS petition out of my son, which is a person in need of supervision. Um. I it was way beyond my control once he started hanging around with the wrong gang. It, it was so far out of my control. And I think I was in denial for a while, too. And, um, you know, he did a lot of things I didn't even know about. But, you know, I did a lot. I did as much as I could. But I, I just feel like I probably should have been more aggressive in um, acknowledging that he needed help sooner than I did. And in a situation like that, how would a parent uh, get that kind of help? Like, I mean, um, obviously when when a, a, a teenager or, or young person is in that position, they don't want help or especially not the help yeah. of their mother. So how do you, how, what would you suggest that people do? Well, I I I work with the school and the school counselor um, because the teachers are tuned into the kids, and um, I think that would probably be my first place to start. Maybe social services, which I didn't do. I mean, I worked through the school system. I got my son admitted to a rehab, one of many but he was a freshman in high school. And um, so I worked through through that system, through the school system and the school counselor. And what finally worked to turn him around? Nothing I did. It's, it was up to him. He had probably 10, he was probably over the course of, from the age of, oh, 15 on, he was probably in 10 rehab places. Really? Yeah. Was he put there? Let me just interject this. Was he put there or did he choose to go there? In some cases, he was put there. Some cases, he chose. Okay. Yeah. Um, Each time he recovered, he became stronger, but each time he relapsed, it became worse. Was Was it hard drugs? Uh, actually, you know, I can't say that I know for sure, but I don't think so. I think it was alcohol was his big beer and okay. Um, okay. marijuana okay. were the two biggies. I don't, I can't speak because, you know, of you course, of course, 10% of what really goes on. I'm just asking because I know these yeah. are questions that listeners would, would have as well, you know, to, especially right. someone going through something like this, mm-hmm. um, so he actually made the decision then, and he got himself clean, and you yeah. were there to support him oh, yeah. to the max. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's a, there's he, a he, he was in recovery several times. He had several like two or three year periods where he would be sober and in recovery. And then he would relapse. He had multiple, multiple relapses. But um, his father, Ed, died um, a year ago in September of cirrhosis. And I was actually there at the bedside with my children. And um, we were all a little bit worried about how he would be. But he's pretty solid. He's been pretty solid in his recovery. For the past year. That's wonderful. I'm very proud of them. No very. kidding. That's not an easy thing to do. No. And um, I'm sure that you have applauded him many, many times. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and is your you have a daughter as well? Yes. Uh-huh. And how how did she respond to all these things that happened in your oh, life? She's been a, she definitely has been affected by by this. I think both my children felt a sense of abandonment from their dad. Of course, I moved miles away because he didn't really participate in their bringing up. He'd see them when he was sober, but it wasn't ever on a regular basis. So I decided to move on in my life, and I eventually moved back home where he could participate in their lives. And um, my daughter... uh, I think developed um, a good relationship with him over the past three or four years. And my son was just starting to reestablish himself when his father died. So, yeah. So that's good news. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because it it removes a lot of guilt too, when you can have those relationships and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they can move forward from that. And so right. that, that is definitely a positive. So what right. can you tell us of anything else about your memoir, either the one that you have completed, which is available on Amazon, etc., but also the one that you're writing? What would you like to share? Anything else? Um, just a story of hope, resilience, courage that I hope to um, spread the news about. And I hope people enjoy it as a story. Um that will touch them in some way that maybe they can find their own pathway to healing uh, by my sharing my pathway. And um, as far as my mother-son memoir uh, that I'm working on, I just, I had a very dear friend of mine say to me one time when I was in the throes of despair over, over my son was, don't ever, ever, ever give up hope on your child. And I never forgot that. And that just kept me going through so many tough times. And um, I'm just happy to say that I've experienced peace and joy. And because I was able to hang on to that hope. You kept that as your focus. Yes. Hope that's the whole focus of my platform. It's um, most of the stories I write are about sharing hope. Yes. And sometimes that's the only thread that we have. Right. Exactly. And the the whole purpose in what you are sharing today and and your memoir as you just stated is to never give up. There's not a point where you say, "Okay, I'm done." Mm-hmm. When you never give up hope, 
it means exactly that. You do not give up because as long as you are six feet above ground, there is hope. As long as you are breathing and your child is breathing, there is hope. There is hope for change. There is hope for reconciliation, for Mm -hmm. healing, for everything. And so you hang on to that. And I think your message today is exquisitely clear in that regard, that as long as you hang on and do not give up, the results will come. There's nothing like a mother's love and a mother's prayers to pull these kids through. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Yes. And in the end, that's where the rejoicing comes. That's where the, you know, the excitement comes that you didn't give up and the results were positive. Exactly. Exactly. And your attitude through through everything, as well as being hopeful, was it positive? Were you oh. able to maintain or did you go through those really bad low times when you just wanted to give up? And if so, how did you cope with that? How did you deal with that? Um, yes, of course, I had moments of despair, but um, my faith in God was my shining, guiding light. And I used to uh, constantly tell my son, there's this Russian proverb, pray to God, but keep rowing to shore. (laughs) You have have to do your part. Good point. (laughs) (laughs) But you also have to know that there's a power greater than you that's in charge. And you have to be willing to let go and let God. I know people have have said that expression a lot, let go and let God. How would you describe that? Well, like being diagnosed with cancer and knowing that it's the battle of my life and for my life, just totally surrendering and saying, you know, give me the strength, Lord. And guess what? I get the strength. And then I reach a point of, no, wait a minute. You're the great miracle maker. Make me a miracle. (laughs) (laughs) So I expected a miracle, and I got it. And that's part of hope is the expectation. You just nailed it right there, Kathleen. (laughs) It's one thing to hope and to hope beyond hope. But you also have to be in a state of expectation, knowing that your hopes will be manifested and expecting them to be manifested. That is faith. And trusting and trusting that they will. That's right. Exactly. Blind. It could be blind, but that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) In the end, it's all that matters, right? Right. Well, thank you, Kathleen. I think that Daryl, you have... An incredible memoir with lots of, as you said, tears, but triumphs. Mm -hmm. You have another memoir coming out that we will, as soon as it is out, we will post that as well onto your page. Um, And people who have any questions, etc., they will be able to contact you through my page or people that might want to be to relate their stories with you or ask for support. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that you will be open for that. 
Absolutely. Okay, very good. Well, thank you again, Kathleen. It's been a pleasure to meet you. And I know that your story will resonate with a lot of people and they'll be able to relate. And we expect to hear good things about your book and its future and, of course, the one that's coming up. Well, thank you. It's just my pleasure. And I also want to commend you for this wonderful program of sharing hope, one story at a time. I think that's wonderful. We all need that. One story at a time. Very well put. I'm going to tap into that. (laughs) Sharing hope, one story at a time. Pardon me? That's my tagline for my my blog. Oh, it is. Okay. (laughs) Very good. All right. Thank you again, Kathleen, and um, God bless you. Okay. God bless you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.